I'm going to go ahead and get started. And today, you will be active and participating in the class. So I hope you brought your thinking caps and your enthusiasm. Let us pray. Father God, we come today to learn again, to study together. And more than just hearing the words and thinking about them, we ask, Father, that you pour the gospel into our hearts, into our very being. We're reminded in your word, as Paul said, that we should conduct ourselves in the manner worthy of the gospel. And might our time together today bring us to that point where a heart that loves you loves our neighbors, ourselves, loves your word, and it results in us being and conducting ourselves in a manner that is worthy. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How is this sound? Is it on? Am I, am I amplified? Okay, great. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to try to say something offensive at 9.59 so that when everybody walks out at 10, you can... But there are people leaving at 10. I'm just kidding. At 10 o'clock, some people are leaving to go to the new members class. So it's nothing to do with me. They just have to go. You want to make it that way? Yeah. <laughs> Probably could, yeah. Um, anyways, we have a great class today. I think it's going to be exciting. Uh, and here's the overview. We're going to do a... a Consider this like a midterm oral exam with no punitive grades or anything, but just learning together. Uh, course review. Then we're going to go further. We're going to go into the Boston Declaration, which, thanks to Pastor Michael, was introduced to all of you last fall and now being brought up again at the end of this uh, year to integrate everything that you have learned. If you've been coming to this class the whole year, it's been quite, quite a trip as I've looked at all the topics you've covered, but now we want to bring it all back together again. So the Boston Declaration raises some issues that are pertinent to what we're trying to do in this course on looking at things the way Jesus does. In fact, they have some things in here that I didn't realize that I read later that I were like, wow, that sounds like I wrote that. So I kind of agree with a lot of stuff that... <laughs> it sounds like, you know, you know, it's always great when you agree with something, right? So... Um, but no, there are there some things in here that I don't agree with, but that's okay because we're here to, these are a bunch of scholars and concerned Christians who are trying to raise issues that we need to address. We're not going to come to exactly the same answers. So we'll, we'll go further. Then we're going to have table discussions. And what we're going to do is if you take the handout that I gave you that has this little graphic chart on here, <coughs> just flip it over. <coughs> Excuse me. You can see the areas of concerns that the Boston Declaration has raised that they think modern 21st century Christians ought to be concerned about, okay? And so this table here is the environmental table, the experts on environment. Now, they're going to decline that, but the Schnabel family runs Zoe Farms. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's very progressive, very exciting new way of doing farming. They're trying to do everything... Uh, Green. Uh, we don't like that word. Okay, what, what word do you want? It's regenerative Reg agriculture. Regenerative agriculture. 
So if you care about the environment, come over to this table. It's not easy being green. <laughs> this is um, discrimination, the discrimination table. So when I tell you, you're going to come here if you care about the issues of discrimination. And, uh, and also, all of these topics that we talk about today, we're not going to be talking about Russia or West India or um, Bangladesh. We're going to be talking about Stark County, like where we live, the city of Canton. What has this got to do with us here? So remember that focus, a discrimination table. Um, economics. So if you care about economics, you, you will take your chair and go to that table. And then there's another category that's called miscellaneous. That's where the hippies and unstructured people will go. So we'll, uh, yes, we'll, let's put miscellaneous here. And then if you don't like that, then you leave and go to the tables that you want. Economics, discrimination, environmental. What okay? about politics? Oh, politics. Judge Hawes declined. He recused himself. That's <laughs> <laughs> the first thing he said. I'm recusing myself. He's a smart guy. You know, I'm like, good choice. Uh, politics. <laughs> Fools rush in where <laughs> angels fear to tread. Uh, and also, um, I, I want to do something. I want one of the precious ladies of the farm to come out when you leave this and go someplace else. And, and you too. I want you to go to someplace else where the older people are. Because I want, yes. No, you don't count. I mean, like, really. Like people that have hair like me. The okay. Q-tip brigade. <laughs> okay, so that's what we're going to do today. And then we're going to start the process of saying, asking the fundamental question, okay, um, the golden rule of telic love, of telic agape love, the golden rule, how does it apply to these areas? What would happen if a bunch of Christians got up in the morning and said, okay, the master said, what's it all about? What, what is it all about? What did, we, what did we say? What did we learn? Loving your neighbor as you love yourself, and then we went, we'll, we'll go further. But it's all about, so we get up in the morning, we say, okay, um, how can I do unto others as I want them to do unto you? Hi, come on in. You're not late. You thought into his ear a little bit there. How many saw the wedding yesterday, the sermon? And Jack wrote to me, and uh, it was remarkable. I, I, I watched it too, and I said, this guy caught my notes. <laughs> no, I, no, what he did was what? No, he read the Bible. He read the Bible, and he replicated it faithfully. It was cool. Yes, but he, but he got to it. He got to what this course is all about. Yeah. Pardon? Was it 13 minutes? Yeah, well, see, then you should, guys should become Episcopal because then you could get done in 13 minutes instead of 50. <laughs> 13 minutes? Yeah. 
All right, so let's, let's do a little course review now that we've understood what we're going to do today or try to do. So take the uh, handout that has this little uh, uh, kind of climbing the mountain kind of perspective. We're going to start at the bottom and go up. So we started this course with Tolstoy, Martin the Cobbler, and Jesus. Why did we do that? I'll ask the questions and you'll give me the answers. Why did we start with Martin the Cobbler? Uh, yeah, it paraphrases or exemplifies the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Tolstoy doesn't reference the Sermon on the Mount in Cobbler. He references what? What? Where is his principal source of epiphany come from? Matthew 25. Remember this? When he has the, the realization in front of you. When he has the realization of what that he's supposed to treat other people like Christ. The Lord tells him that. I'm coming to you today. Three times people come, he doesn't recognize. Then he gets it. Oh, wow. So we started there because then the next class, going up now, the literary structure of Matthew, what did we learn there? Uh, from memory without reading, and then you can read. What did we learn about the structure of Matthew? Hey, hey. I'm, I was looking for you. Uh, both of you I was looking for. This is brilliant. What did we... What did we... The, uh, what about the Torah? The five books. Uh, he structured his gospel around five sermons of Jesus. Remember, how many sermons did the Master give? Well, I mean in his life, in his career. Five? Hundreds? One a day would be a, probably a thousand, given Sabbaths taken off after a fashion. So he took five out of perhaps maybe a thousand. Why? Because he wants to link it to what? The five books of Moses. Because he wants to link Jesus with Matthew, with Matthew 17 on the mountain, transfiguration, with Deuteronomy 18, with the promise that God was going to give what? This is crucial. A prophet like Moses. And see, in the Boston Declaration, you've got to watch this. Because I, I was thinking about this, like when I was really a baby Christian, I would have found this a little bit problematic. When they say in here somewhere, as, oh yeah, as followers of Jesus, the Jewish prophet for justice, whose life reminds us to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, when you first hear that, the Jewish prophet for justice, it, it could almost sound like they're saying what? That, ah, yes, there is some sort of a denial here that we're reducing the master down just to a prophet. But of course, the New Testament doesn't shy away from calling Jesus a prophet, it takes us through the whole progression, you know? He's a prophet, then he's the Messiah, then he's son of God, and then at the end of the Gospel of John, we have Thomas on his knees saying, my Lord and my God, and not like valley girls say it. He meant it. So, we have to be careful. Jesus is a prophet among other things. 
So when we read the Sermon on the Mount, as Zev then taught us the following week, go on, a first century uh, reading of uh, this debar, this devar, this book, this sermon, and I, I asked Zev, give me in a nutshell what you wanted to say that day, and then here's his quote, a repristinizing of Torah. Could you kindly tell us what repristinization means? Taking it back to its fundamental essence and renewing that. Pristine. To see something in its original state. So what Zev did that week was take you back to the first century, how Jews would have thought and read and heard this sermon, and he concluded that the master isn't really doing anything new. He's simply telling us, this is what the Torah actually means. Wow. And so then we went further. We said, okay, let's, well then, if this is what the Torah really means, if that's what he's doing, we went to the next class. Outline of Devar or book or sermon one. How many finished your outlines already? <laughs> well, this is mine. Probably right. I get a name. Uh, I want you to just remember just a couple of things. I mean, I'm not saying I'm right on this, but to me, it's clear he has a thesis. What's the thesis of the sermon? Of the Sermon on the Mount? I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of, and I'm going to read it modern, the religious observers of a code, you won't enter into the experience of the kingdom of God, and he meant here and now. So that's his thesis. Uh, what's the ultimate state of being? Does anyone remember? What did he, the ultimate state of being, Matthew 5.48 something that has caused Christians distress down through the years, but it shouldn't once you understand it. Perfect. Be, it's, in English it says be perfect, be complete. be complete. It means in Greek, be telos, to be completely developed in what way? Developed in what way? What did he just give us, the illustration and the context? I want you to be fully developed in agape love as, as God is. And how did he, what did he reference to make us understand how God's love is really like in that passage? Do you remember? Look at God. He shines sun and rain down on all these wicked slime over here. They're making bucks. They're making money. They don't love God. And then he does the same thing for the good on Zoe Farms. You're like, God, please help us have a harvest. The, the wicked sinners down here taking it for granted. God's pouring love down on both of them. And, and the master turns around and says, well, how do I want you to be? That's the way I want you to be. I want you to be like God. Just go through life and pour crazy, agape, fully developed love on other people, whether they deserve it or not. Uh, the ultimate state of doing. Matthew 6.33. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is his summary thing. Remember, anyone remember? What should you be doing? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and everything else will be added to you. So he's giving you, this is what 
you should do if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then, of course, the conclusion, the shattering conclusion, is what? What's the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount? What did he say? So in conclusion, I remember the, the thesis, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. So in conclusion, I'm telling you what? Do to others. It's, it's both. Now, Zev knows a lot about this. Do us, do us the uh, uh, as if and the, and the here. Okay. Two things. Uh, <clears throat> again, the first paragraph of the Shema that every Jewish person recites morning and evening faithfully. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, you know, might, etc., etc. That is called Kabbalat Ol Malchut Shemayim, taking on oneself the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. Okay? It's not something you wait for. It's not something you need a passport for. It's something you do every single day. In other words, where is the kingdom of heaven? It's right here, right now. Which does not deny the second part of the story, which is? It's not here in all its fullness. And that's what conservative Christians have to remember. You grew up in a context in which the kingdom in its fullness was made the goal of all things. Going to heaven. And that's true. That's part of the gospel. But it also, if you're not careful, you can diminish what the master is saying about now. The kingdom is both now yeah. and future. So if you like C.S. Lewis, this is what he tried to get. Hold on one second, Zev, and then you can go. No, because be this helped. is the second thing I okay, was going so, to Okay, I'm give sorry. So, go, go. Um, one of the greatest Hasidic masters and also one of the wildest was the rabbi of Kotsk, the Kotsker Rebbe. And he sort of liked, very zen-like, if you will, to burst in on his students and ask them provocative questions. So he did that one day in his house of studies, and he burst in on them and saying, where is God? So, of course, students started citing one verse. Some said, you know, the heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. Another one says, you know, heaven and earth are full of thy glory, da-da-da-da-da-da, and everything, you know, all these things. And he says, no, God is wherever he is allowed in. So the kingdom of heaven is wherever it's acknowledged. But that acknowledgement is a personal acknowledgement. It means I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I take upon its yoke and I will live it out. Exactly. Now, if you like C.S. Lewis, Narnia tales? Well, what's Narnia? It's not really heaven. It's that other dimension that you can step into if you're open 
in which the other reality of God is going on, on top of and in and out of and at the same time as this mundane reality is. So when they step into Narnia, they become what? The great champions of God. They become these spiritual warriors, right? And then when they go back, they're like, ah, this is boring. At the end, tragically, you remember Susan loses her faith. You remember one of the kids says, the only thing she cares about now is lipsticks, nylons, and boys. What's Lewis saying? That yes, they were going to Narnia. They were in the kingdom of heaven. They had been there many times. But then eventually, what happened? This world so pulls us out. So what the Master is saying is, yeah, heaven starts now. The kingdom of heaven starts now, and then explodes and grows into its fullness that will be in the future. Now, you, anybody else going to say something? I Who thought, the yes. Yeah. The oh. Okay. This is where I think Matthew does a very excellent job, where he says, "Take my yoke." upon you. Okay. Since everything he is teaching has to do with Malchuta Dishmaya, the kingdom of heaven, his yoke is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is a yoke? What do you do with a yoke? Farmer here, what do you do with a yoke? <laughs> I don't run draft horses. <laughs> Okay. No, well, let me put it this way. Okay. You see what John has drawn up there? It's a yoke for what? How many animals? So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, what's he saying? Exactly. Be yoked to me. We will pull together. Yes, because the yoke of the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean now you've got to do it all yourself. Quite the contrary. It means you are now yoked to divine energy and power to do the job you need to do. Jack, you were going to say, no? Susan? Isn't it curious, and I thought of you a lot when I was, you know, going through this, because your thing is being, being what we are. Right, but isn't it interesting when the master goes through, he, he focuses on being first, the Beatitudes, what we are to be, and then what you do. Yes, very good observation. Okay, well, let me move on then and we'll keep going. We did spiritual algebra last week and the quiddity of telic agape love. Okay, who can do the equation? 
if the golden rule, and you'll have to uh, correct the typo on my paper. I put a dash instead of equal. If the golden rule equals, what did the master say? Matthew? You don't recall this? What about the law and the prophets? If, uh, if uh, the golden rule is the summation of the law and the prophets, if, it's, if it is the liquidity of it, and then later on he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself is equal to Let's not split hairs. What does he say? What the preacher said yesterday at the uh, wedding. Uh, he said they hang on it. Everything hangs on what? Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So therefore we concluded what? What's the conclusion of the algebraic formula? Loving your neighbor as you love, your, uh, uh, as you love yourself fulfills the law. And loving... Uh, your neighbor is the exact same thing said another way as what? The golden rule. They're, they're equal. Then we went further. We had another equation. Ready? If, I'm using symbols, if God equals total agape, telic agape love, and where does it say that in the Bible? 1 John 4. God is agape. Right. And then, um, what's the second part that we learned last week? And if tau is poured, what did we learn last week? Where is telic agape love poured into? Romans 5. Does anyone remember? It's in, if you accept Jesus, it's poured in, I'll just use the symbol, into Christians. So if God is telic agape love, and if telic agape love is poured into Christians, then the question algebraically is, where's God? Hint, folks, what's, what, are, what festival are we celebrating today? Passover. <laughs> well, some How sort many of, of you remember to wear red? <laughs> so now you see. Now this is important because when you first read the Sermon on the Mount and the Master says, I want you to be like God. I want you to be fully developed in telic agape love. Everybody reads that. Even after they understand it doesn't mean perfect. Like God's perfect, it means telic agape love. Even when they get that, they say, right. But now God comes to you, and you Presbyterians should get this like ducks to water. What's, what's the Presbyterian thing? What, what's the heart of it? Everything is by Committee. grace. <laughs> grace. So now we learn what? 
First, the master tells you to do something ridiculous and impossible. I want you to go through this world and be like God and shower telekagape love on slime and sinners and also on your friends. And then later on, and after you go through the, I can't do that, that's crazy, that's for the next lifetime, that's for the heaven, that's for this and that. Then God tells you what? Later on, now I showed you that telekagape love where? On the cross. And now I'm coming. That person that died on the cross is coming into us. That same love is there. So now when you say, I can't do it, the Christ in you is going to say what if you're listening? What's he going to say? I can't do this. I can't do this. Well, he'll, he'll say something. Yeah, I, I did something for you. But he'll really say to you, finally, you get it. Finally, you understand. No, you can't. It's my grace in you. My agape love in you that's going to enable you to do something that is supernaturally ridiculous and impossible. It can only be done by the grace of God. And I think that's why all of us, including myself, we get to that point and then we realize, I can't do this on my own and now what am I going to have to do if I'm going to really do it? I won't hurt you. I'm going to have, I can't go any further. I can't do it. I can't do this. Take me on to this thing that you want me to do because I physically, spiritually, emotionally can't do it. And that's when Jesus says, I'll do it through you. Probably the most important church father for Western Christianity was St. Augustine. And he said something that got the heretic Pelagius upset. But it's something that lies at the very heart of what we've been talking about. Where he said... O Lord, give what thou commandest, and then command what thou wilt. Give what thou commandest, and then command what thou wilt. And what John has been saying is God has already done that. Now our question is, and I'm looking in the mirror when I say, do I actually want to do that? Do I want to go into that level? Now, next week, look on your uh, little uh, syllabus if you can find it real quick, uh, or even at the top of the handout for today. You'll see Zev is going to be primarily giving a lecture t- uh, next week about the historic responses of the church to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I talk about painting with a broad brush. Whew. So we're going to have to you know, go quickly cover kind of like 2,000 years of church history, and what has the church historically said about the Sermon on the Mount? So what we're going to do today then is without that as a uh, coloration, we're going to sit in the 21st century and ask ourselves, if Jesus really wants us to practice the golden rule, how would we do it here in Stark County in these areas that the Boston Declaration has raised? And then next week, Zev and I will show you how historically the church has responded to the Sermon on the Mount, and then you can look at yourselves in the 21st century and look at yourself, look at the church in the history, and we can ask ourselves, where do we want to go? Are there models that we want to avoid? Are there models that we can employ? Examples, so forth.
So that's where we're going. And now, today, we must assemble in tables. Discrimination. If you care about it, swing your chair over here uh, and come to this table. Uh, if you care about environmental issues, come to this table. If you care about um, economics, go to that table. This is miscellaneous, and this is... Your, your politics. Politics, economics... Okay, I'm on? I know. Okay, we're on. Okay, so um, maybe swing your chairs around just so you can kind of see one another. You don't have to move too much. I would like now to hear some comments or ideas that came out of your conversations. I heard some really fascinating comments. And we're going to start with one that... Um, I would say is probably uh, the most user-friendly, and that would be the environmental issues. So, uh, environmental people. Give me the, the quiddity of what you came up with, or some great ideas. Uh, anything that you want to share. Uh, the, the issue is, how does the golden rule tell it Agape love apply to Stark County issues on the environment? I think that Well, I don't even think we come to consensus because frankly it was just me I didn't doing think a lot you would of either. talking. Just give me some comments. All right. If I'm to be no, honest. I understand. You weren't gonna solve it. I the would work. say that if without seeking the consensus of the group, I would say that we must realize that we are connected to all life around us. We are not uh, dominant, although we've been given the skills and the position to order creation and to uh, place creation within categories, going back to Genesis, naming the creatures. Finding our role in agape is to realize that that, that gift that we've been given has been misused into dominating and forming everything to our hubris, our arrogance, when in fact, yes, we are stewards. That's what I'm hearing you say. And we can't be We're stewards. Not lords. <laughs> yes, we can't be stewards unless we see ourselves connected to all of creation because all of creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons and daughters of the Lord, correct? Yes. Uh, that's beautiful. I really love that. Anybody else want to throw in a couple comments or anything on environmentalism? Uh, you know, it, it, what you say, I, I just have to make a comment. You know, you know I grew up during the counterculture. And uh, my generation took a lot of... Um, 
a certain kind of uh, chemicals that induce a particular psychological state within people. It's a common state. It's been studied. The literature is replete with the commonality of this. But certain types of psychedelic drugs will cause you to actually merge with or experience nature as part of it. The, the, the objective uh, wall disappears. You become much more close. You feel like you're one with everything. Is that what that was? <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that time in Kent where you were down there. But uh, anyways, my point is to this. I'm not, I'm not advocating anything. I'm not dissing anything. I'm saying that a whole generation of young people came up, Dustin, at that time that started asking the question, why are we beating the earth to, to, to a pulp? Why aren't we uh, asking what we can do to make this place a better place? And some hippie, Stuart Brandt, out in California who started the whole earth catalog. Anybody ever hear of that? The whole Earth catalog. He went ran around in 1969 asking the question, "How come we haven't seen a picture of the whole Earth yet?" And it was his efforts, and he had this revelation that we should do this while he was high. Again, not advocating. I'm just saying he was responsible for that first picture that's called the blue marble, the first time that the human race saw our little Earth hanging in this black. And it changed a generation because suddenly we saw what? This is it, baby. This is all we got in a sea of darkness. So we better take care of it. Yeah. All right. Um, let me see. Let's go to another one. Um, who did discrimination? Oh, okay. Go. I'm sorry. hothouse gases that humans produce. Okay. And that's what's making all this change. But what it is, these people, their, their cycles, it has to do with two of the, two of the largest planets uh, and th that stretches out the Earth rotation or, and so it's, we have cycles where it's really hot and really So you cold. want to modify the climate Yeah, you know, I would. Because yeah. I've never been able to put together the fact that they grew vegetables and everything in uh, Iceland and Greenland in year 1000. How sure. in the hell did that happen? And then now we got ice up there. Yeah, climate change does happen. But I think we can argue about that all we want, but what we want to avoid is my experience as a, as a child growing up and, and uh, used to, when my grandpa took me to Lake Erie when I was five, we went in. Uh, by, by the time I was a teenager, uh, the signs were posted, don't do that. And uh, do you remember the Cuyahoga River caught on fire when I was in high school? How does a river catch on fire? So um, that's what we're talking about in local situations. In that debate about you know, massive climate change, you get lost in it, right? What we need to do is figure out what we're going to do right now, right here in the mess that we're making. Now, who's got... Um, Discrimination. I want to hear some thoughts here. Okay. Stark County. Yeah, and then that's how you appointed yourself a spokesperson, so go ahead. We decided we shouldn't discriminate. So we talked about a lot of things, but um, I think the thing we touched upon the most was uh, 
a lot of uh, people, white people mostly, uh, aren't really aware of just the ways that uh, other uh, ethnicities and cultures and uh, races are discriminated against. And um, a lot of people think of it as uh, like a more active, uh, like say, oh, preventing somebody from doing something or just holding people back, but it can be a little more passive than that through our laws. Um, and even our, our beliefs and ideologies, I think a lot of times uh, we discussed how uh, it's a common belief that people uh, think that if you work hard, uh, success will come. And uh, a lot of times people, you know, that, to an extent that's true, but it's hard to say if uh, everyone starts at the same point. It might take a little more work for other people to get to the same point that are you, say are you, you and I get to. this thing that is now a, a word that's important in our conversation culturally. Mm -hmm. Privilege. Yes, that's what I'm hearing you say. You're saying that you can grow up and just be encased within a privilege and you don't even realize it, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Coming back to the lecture there last fall when he talked about the subtle prejudices against people of the Jewish faith. If you grew up, as I did, wasp culture, he brought out several examples when he was talking about growing up. One was when we had to take, go take the graduate record exams, I remember. When we're in the majority, a lot of times there are subtle biases, prejudices. We offend yeah, minorities, it, it and we my, don't even realize we're doing it. It blew my mind the first time I, I was, one time I was hanging out with Rabbi Spitzer, and he told me that, um, he, he's, he was giving a lecture and he said that golf course over there on, uh, off, um, is it, it's, where, where's Pam? Uh, yes! <laughs> What's the street? I have no genes in my head for street Never. names. Never. Uh, Never. Yes, there's this little, that's one, that's a Jewish course. There's another one, another Jewish course tucked away closer to Hartville. And why were they created? Because Rabbi Spitzer. Yes, they, the country clubs were closed. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wow, really? In Stark County in Ohio, Jews couldn't play at country clubs in the area? Well, my parents owned a piece of real estate that had a covenant in the deed. Couldn't sell the Jews and couldn't sell the blacks. Okay. okay, so there you go. That's white privilege. That's what you're talking about. And so we, if you're white, you grow up, you don't even realize this. Like, I'm like, what, Jews couldn't go to the, the country club in Stark County? What? Yeah, you just don't realize it. Yes, sir. Just take a look around the room. Okay. Uh, someone once said, America is never more segregated than it is on Sunday morning. Well, now, Mrs. Smith, please, tell us. Yes. Give her that mic. Well, some time ago, um, I was in the class in the parlor, and I can't remember what came up, but Wanda Young and I were kind of appointed to talk with um, Reverend DeVries about the possibility of having a sister church, the African-American sister church, so that we can be acquainted with the African-American community, and whether it were concerts together or picnics or, you know, 
any kind of activity, maybe celebration of, of uh, Christmas and Easter together in some way. Um, and we went to the church you mentioned. I think it's New Life. Industrial, oh. or I mean, International uh, yeah, New Life Ministries, I think it is, yeah. up on Market. And yeah. we went there and visited with the pastor. and But it all just kind of fell apart. I think there weren't enough of us interested to make anything work. But I still think it's a good I idea. I think that is a tremendously brilliant idea. It would be so good for Stark County if we could do that. Yeah, we, we really don't would. have... We don't have bad relations no. with with the um, African American community, but how many of us know? I mean, I know Wanda Young, <laughs> and I don't really have. Here's the little twisty that we learned in the course, and I'm not trying to make any score any points here. But there's a negative way to state the, the golden rule. What is it? You, we all learned it. There's a negative way to state it. Yeah. Don't do, do what, what is you, to don't. others what's hateful to yourself. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's I think what Stark Countyans pretty much do racially. It actually is a one of the best places. We, we don't kill each other, and we yeah. seem to tolerate each other. Yeah. But what the master is now saying is what? Love. It's not just yeah. not doing hateful things to people. Why don't you start doing positive, good things to one another? Yeah. And I, I think it's a brilliant idea. Because yes. Uh, that minister shortly after yes, they George started Dunwoody. that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the comedian Bill Ingvall would have said, there's your sign for, uh, I don't mean that, but that's what he would have said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> Decent. Uh, uh, you know, it's fairly decent. Anything beyond being friends at school. You know, back then I related to none of us had cars. You know, they lived in a totally different town. But I don't know that we ever would have. Yeah. You know, I, I, had, a, I had a guy tell me one time, I don't know if this is true, but I'm just going to throw it out because it's the... It's the kind of the cauldron down here that's always cooking when we talk about this. One of the sweetest Christian guys, he's like actually kind of my hero in a lot of ways. I'm not going to get into the denomination and all of that. But he told me one time when I was pressing him, let's, get, let's come down to Canton. Bring your people down and show the people in Canton how to do certain things. Let's, let's get this. He said, John, I, I love Jesus. I love you. I agree with what you're trying to do. He said, I'll tell you, I just don't want my daughter to marry a black guy. I don't want my daughter to marry a black guy. And that is the fear. Every, you know, we talk, let's go get together and love one another. But the thing is, white kids and black kids look at each other and they say, wow, you're hot. <laughs> I like you. And, and then they fall in love. And then you have mixed marriages. And, and that... There's something, and that's true in the black community too. They don't want to be totally assimilated. We, so that's really boiling down there, which we will never talk about. So we'll get together, but just know when we get together, black kids and white kids are going to look at each other and say, wow. Which I thought, Jack, oh, what a statement to the world yesterday at that wedding. Yikes, British society. 
Yes. And just Tell us about it. Well, every every week. Oh, oh, I see. What happened yeah. Fifty years ago, and we were part of it when, when the Martin Luther King was. We had churches coming together every two weeks. We met together at the YMCA and we talked about problems over race issues, and we worked it. And we found out, for example, that social workers were going to the same house on the same day from different agencies, and then they wouldn't go there for another couple of months. And we organized and planned, and white and black churches came together. And, and I go to our uh, one other point. Uh, over here at, when it was Timken, and we went to the early college program, and a black child or a white child received an honor, they were cheered by every kid. They, these kids don't see black and white. Right. And we need to begin to understand that. That's beautiful. Let's say the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got to stop. I, I really appreciate so much all your comments. And you're right, Jack, we didn't get even to the beginning of the discussion. But I think three weeks from now, or no, the last class that we have together, we're going to do this again. And, you know... I hope God will bring a lot of good things out of it. So, um, thank you for coming. Let's pray together before we go. Lord, we uh, have studied today and talked and thought of many huge and powerful ideas, but we remember what Jack just said and what Martin Luther King said. The arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. And we do thank you for the examples, the tokens, uh, the wedding yesterday that gave a witness to the world, we hope, and then we think of ourselves here in Stark County. May your Holy Spirit inspire each one of us to think the way Jesus does, and may you show us ways that we can love one another as you love us, and to practice your golden rule as we live in Stark County. Thank you for this beautiful day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, bye-bye. See you.